Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. The following visit that bug podcast. Kansas City, a cum stain on the shores of the old Missouri. With a filthy water licking the shores, like a dog licking a hobo's salty balls. And as well as having a shitty baseball team, they had a homo, saddle killer roaming their streets. Taking without asking. And if I have to tell you what they were taking, then you're not the type who'd give it up if they were asking. Because in the mid-1980s, Rent Boys started disappearing from Kansas City's filthy streets. And you know what? No one cared. Serial killer is dead. He died in prison after his victims were killed in his home. Verdella confessed to sexually and physically torturing six men here. But some believe there were more victims and hope digging up the house might unearth some secrets. That's why millionaire Del Dunmire, who owns the property, had workers carefully tear it down. Private detective Ashley Hearn was here in 1988 when the truth came out, and he's been here for the past five weeks, making sure no other bodies turned up. This episode is called The Collector and focuses on serial killer Robert Bodella, who committed his crimes between 1985 and 1988. Within about a two or three year period, he had been in the emergency room at Truman on several occasions to have the head of his penis reattached. It's easy to reattach, so the skin and maybe some of the blood vessels, but the nerve endings may not grow through again. So they may not have the same kind of sensation. You know, so it's just, um, it's just dead in the tip, I would think, at least after two or three tries of this. Life. I guess you could say that it's about a whole lot of things that we can't control. Like sexual orientation, I suppose. You like pussy, or you don't. Me? I don't care what you like. I'm non-judgmental. And I can't stand you either way. I once knew a guy who liked pussy so much 
that he kept his ex-girlfriend's tampon in his bedroom drawer. I guess so he could remember the good times. Nice. That's fucking nice. Such is the case of one 39-year-old Robert Padella, Bobby to his friends. He liked cock, and he made no secret of it. But maybe like my old friend who kept his girlfriend's tampon in his drawer, he liked cock too much because he liked to remember it and he kept his own mementos. Maybe mementos that he shouldn't oughta be keeping. And mementos were exactly what Bobby sold at his stall that he operated out of the local flea market every Saturday and Sunday, selling what some may say were crass paraphernalia. You know, like the usual stuff, bongs, tacky hats, rolling papers. But he also sold satanic curiosities, ram skulls, tarot cards, spell books for witches. But as you can imagine, it wasn't the greatest of enterprises to earn a profit. So he supplemented that income by selling dope out of the shop to the local high school kids. Padella, he was known to be a bit of an artsy-fartsy type. I guess like all fruits. And in the 60s, he went to art school. And by all accounts, that peace and love hippie credo suited him just fine. And he was down on his knees every chance he got. But he got a bit of a reputation early on with students and professors alike, with some people saying that he weren't all right in the head. One incident in particular where he took a living goose and he chopped it up and set it on fire in front of everyone. And when they started squawking, they called it living art, but they disagreed. Seemed community colleges in the 60s didn't mind cocksuckers, just as long as they didn't hurt animals. Nah, fair enough, I guess. But I also guess that Bobby Boy didn't like to be warned. And for his next project, he brought in a dog and fed it a mouthful of tranquilizers. Then it started shitting everywhere as he poked needles into it. And this after Bobby had given the college's word it wouldn't happen again. I mean, if you can't trust a no-good cocksucker, who can you trust? I'm sorry, I get a bit emotional when it comes to animals. But after that, the college, artsy-fartsy or not, had had enough. And they threw his dog tortured ass out. And Badella was now bitter. Which is a shame, because he apparently had a promising career. Apparently. Growing up in 1950s Kansas, young Bobby Badella already had a reputation for disliking and being rough with girls. But also, I guess as a sign of things to come, was known for mistreating and torturing animals. An unstable life at home, he and his younger brother were abused by their father, physically and emotionally. But that all came to a hasty end when Mr. Bodella dropped dead of a heart attack in front of everybody on Christmas Eve, leaving young Bobby without a male role model. Live by the sword, die by the sword. That's what I always say. Although a brute of a man, the death of his father, at only 39 years old, had a dramatic effect on Bordello. Already feminine, and made fun of for wearing thick glasses and having a speech impediment. Cocksucker. Yeah, I know. I couldn't help myself. And the teenage Bordello wasn't known to have any friends. He had now taken to hanging out at the public pools and finger blasting the boys in the change room. A devout Catholic who regularly attended church 
I guess it's safe to say he got along with the priest just fine. Bobby's father had held a high value on sports and physical education, and he saw his son's lack of abilities as a failure. And I guess until they made finger-fucking guys a sport, he would continue to fail. As a kid, Bordella would see a film that would have a great influence on his life, called The Collector, a story about a loser who falls in love with a girl but she don't have the time of day for him, so he chloroforms him and brings her back and locks her in his basement. And despite him trying to keep her alive, she gets sick and dies. When Bordella was arrested, they will find a copy of the film in his VCR. And according to cops, it had been well played. And now the stuttering fuck of a four-eyed fruit was developing his persona. And it wasn't good. Smash that subscribe button and remember to like. With male classmates later sharing the story that Bordella would often hang out in the change rooms watching with a boner. You no good sick mother... With it becoming very apparent early on in his life that he was a sissy. And although he performed well academically, teachers said he was aloof and difficult to communicate with. But by the time the 1970s arrived, I'm guessing the taste of foreskins were giving him indigestion. Because Bobby gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, swearing off those demons that caused his homosexuality. He even got himself a girlfriend. And he turned his career into being a chef and started serving a different kind of meat, working at a local hotel. And apparently, he was pretty good at it, apparently. And as part of his witnessing to the Lord, he took to the streets and started preaching to teenage boys who were hustling their ass pussy to the vile sinners. But acquaintances said, at this time, in turn, he'd alienated himself from all adults and were just hanging out with teenagers. His only companionship was now young male hustlers and drug addicts. If they needed to get off drugs and go cold turkey, he let them stay at his house. If they needed a place to sleep for the night, he let them stay at his place. He had his own house of homos, which wasn't a good thing when you were trying to wean yourself off of homos. If you get my drift, and I ain't asking. I started collecting and dealing in ethnic folk art back in 71. And then in 78, I came over here to basically temporarily to clean out my basement. I had a basement sale to clean out my house, and then I came over here to clean out my basement. And just did very well and started bringing over some of the stuff that I was dealing in as far as the ethnic jewelry and folk art. By the arrival of the 80s, Bordella had quit the Jesus game. I guess he preferred the taste of cock to communion wafer. He'd also acquired a house full of tacky antiquities and decided to open up a stall at the local flea market and gave up the chef game. In his new role as entrepreneur, he was able to hire in some of the rent boys he'd been trying to help and give them a job. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. 
Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches, urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. It was at this time that he hired sometime male prostitute, full-time hustler, Jerry Howell. But Della had offered the 19-year-old a ride home and then invited him into his house for a couple of drinks. But when Badella tried to make his moves on him, always the hustler, Howell said it'll cost you 50 bucks. But Badella took offense. I guess he figured he'd saved the kid from the street and was owed something. So he put sleeping pills in his drink and raped and tortured him for the next 48 hours. With a bag tied over his head, Howell eventually choked on his own vomit, to which he was hung from a ceiling, his throat was cut, and his blood was drained. Then it was cut up and thrown in the garbage. And Bordella, I guess for keepsakes, took Polaroids of the whole goddamn thing. With investigators finding out how organized his evil was. He had a, a drain, uh, a floor drain down here, and what also against the wall there, there's a shower, <clears throat> there's some uh, plumbing over there, and there's a, a spigot up there for his, uh, he could take a shower, a hose down, everything with. It was a big sturdy table, he could use it for lots of purposes. And use it, he did, with the next time being April 10th, 1985. His victim was a well-known loser named Bobby Sheldon, an occasional lodger. But he'd spend all his rent money on booze, and he'd have to be kicked out. Badella was fed up of him showing up and looking for a place to stay. So this time would be his last freeloading moment on Earth. And although not attracted to Sheldon, I guess that didn't matter in the end. And while he was sleeping on his couch, he injected him with sedatives, put him under. Cops would later find his skull in Bordella's office, used as a paperweight. And after torturing him and ass blasting him for three days straight, the kid's heart gave out. Bordella drained him of his blood, and then cut him up with a chainsaw. And then he threw him out with the rest of the garbage. Bordella confessed to sexually and physically torturing six men here. But some believe there were more victims and hope digging up the house might unearth some secrets. It was almost a year later when Badella's two dogs wouldn't stop barking. When he went out into the backyard and into his tool shed, he found one, Mark Wallace. Rent boy, drug addict. He'd come across him several times at the market. He took shelter in Badella's tool shed to get out of the rain, and seemingly Badella took pity on him and invited him inside for shelter. And it was the last offer that Wallace would ever take, because three days later he would be dead. By Badella's own sex and torture logs found after his arrest, his victims were subjected to unfathomable pain, including having their eyes gouged out with a hot spoon and liquid draino poured in the cavity. The hands smashed up with a hammer, so when they were untied, they couldn't fight back. Hypodermic needles inserted into every part of the body. And after all the rape and the torture, when the heart gave out, we cut him up in a bathtub with a chainsaw. The local radio stations, two of them at least, were running a Bob Berdella parody song and were 
asking people to come to parties wearing dog collars. Well, I think the newspaper article reported that even the families of the victims were upset by the song. I have never had a chance to hear the I song. I had also been told when I first came into jail that the Fox radio station had run a promo giving prizes to their listeners if they showed up at the station in a dog collar and with a leash on. The people here in the institution, the correctional officers, the caseworker, even the psychiatrist, were, I think, surprised to find out that that upset me. And it did upset you. Very much so. After committing three heinous murders and getting away with it, well, Patella figured he was invincible and set his eyes on James Ferris. The 20-year-old had regularly been around the market buying dope off him. And I guess familiarity breeds contempt. Knowing where Badella lived was on September 26, 1985, that him and his friends, high on drugs, would break into the house and party while Badella tried to sleep upstairs. It was the last party that Ferris would ever enjoy. Because when Ferris's friend went home, Badella prepared Ferris a midnight snack of microwave burritos laced with drugs. And the party would continue, but this time it was in Ferris's ass. Patella would spend the rest of the night electrocuting him with two kitchen spatulas stuck into the wall. Polaroids that Padella took, later found by investigators under his mattress, showing his victim bound and gagged, with hypodermic needles sticking out of his back, and what appeared to be bite marks all over his nude body. After 14 hours of abusing his victim, Padella went to work, returned home about five, where he continued the abuse, and his victim died about 12 midnight to which he was chopped up and disposed in the usual of manner. Padella's fifth victim was a drug addict and a prostitute that he'd known for about two years, 21-year-old Todd Stoops. And by all accounts, they'd slept together multiple times as a business transaction. It was June 17, 1986, that Padella had been in the park cruising when he spotted the hustler. He invited him back to his place, where he made him a peanut butter sandwich laced with sedatives. And he passed out, and Badella, just like Santa Claus, coming down the chimney, went to town on his ass. Ho, ho, ho. But Stoops was strong, and he survived two weeks of constant torture. And it was only after Badella fisted him and broke open his anal walls that he bled to death. With even then, Badella injecting him with penicillin because he didn't want the party to end. And at this point, with the cops not giving two shits, word on the street was, if you went into Bordella's house and you were on the hustle, you weren't coming out, because there was something in that house that would take you quicker to the baby Jesus than that gay cancer that everyone was squawking about. Bordella's last victim was Larry Pearson, a dime store hood who just as soon beat you and rob you, then let you get with his junk. It was in the spring of 87 that he picked up the hustler on a street corner, and he started bragging to Bordella how he liked to set up gay men and then rob him. And I guess this rubbed Bordella the wrong way. Looking more like a weightlifter, bigger than most of his victims, he took the hustler back to his place. 
And while doing shots, little did Pearson know that his were drugged. And when he finally passed out, he was injected with sedatives, dragged to the basement and tied up on the floor with piano wire, where he would lie for the next six days. With the mattress only being introduced when Padella found an uncomfortable fucking on the concrete floor. Pearson would now be Bordella's captive for the next 43 days. With his captivity ending and his life, while in an attempt to escape and giving oral sex to Bordella, he bit his cock off. To which Bordella beat him nearly to death, picked up his cock and went to the hospital. But when they told him that he'd have to stay, minus his cock, he went back to his house to make sure that his dogs would have enough to eat. He put a black garbage bag over Pearson's head and smothered him. Took him to the basement, cut him up, and threw him in the garbage. And then he went to the hospital to have his cock reattached. Della's last victim was 22-year-old male prostitute, Christopher Bryson, a hustler he'd met in an arcade on March 29, 1988. But Bryson, although treated to torture just like the others, was able to play the game, and by doing so, gave Bordella great pleasure for which he was given rewards, including his hands tied in front instead of behind his back, also given the privilege to watch TV. But with this complacency, Bordella let his guard down, and Bryson jumped out the second floor window and escaped. Naked, wearing only a dog collar, neighbors called the police, and the story was too sick to disbelieve. And cops came down on his house like a cripple thrown out of an airplane without a parachute because they knew that he was as guilty as a retard with a boner holding a cream-scented donut. Arrested at his place of work, April 2nd, 1988. When the trial started, the prosecutor had a boner for Badella, like Badella had for the rent boys he'd killed. I would love to see him executed. I think what he did is abominable, there is no way to minimize the atrocity of what he did, regardless of what his, what his demeanor is in the interview. You cannot minimize the inhumanity that this guy committed on other people. And when cops found Bedella's diary and the Polaroids documenting the crimes, he sealed his own fate. You're sitting here as a man who's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. You've confessed to murder of six young men in this city and crimes that uh, horrified the city and much of the country. You've confessed to, in various degrees, felonious restraint, drugging people, sexually abusing them, torturing them, killing them, dismembering them. And until now, you've uh, refused all interviews. So in light of all those facts, I have to ask you, uh, why are you here? What is it you have to say to us? What is it you want to say about yourself in this case? Well, I've had the media clamoring to get interviews with me. And after I made my last pleas, I wanted to get at least part of my side of it out. I found it very hard to find any way to do that in Kansas City. The media has so biased my case, portraying me as being non-human, and their motivation is no separate from what the way I treated my victims. I treated them as something less than human. It's nothing more than a play toy or not a play object. 
This is what the media has done to me. It's dehumanized me so that it can believe, along with the public, that things like human sacrifice, Satanism, demonic practices, are more believable than me being a neighbor next door reached a point in his life where he could do monstrous acts. That's not the same thing as being a monster. Robert Badella died in prison of a heart attack October 8th, 1992. And that's all she wrote. Or he, in this case. long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com.